Uh, the Grandstand Cricket Podcast. We're back after the Boxing Day test, looking ahead to the New Year's test match. Happy holidays to all our cricket fans out there. Uh, and happy New Year as well, whatever the greeting that uh, I'm meant to be rolling with at this particular stage. And this is a very special episode. One of us, or at least half of the podcast, are coming to you from a bathroom in West Hollywood. And the other half of us are coming to you from a studio in Melbourne. So it's a bit of a sort of choose your fighter as to, to which one you want, but uh, much more glamorous surrounds uh, in uh, in California from uh, my, my co-host on the podcast in, uh, in Ed Cowan. Happy New Year to you, Teddy. Corb. Great to be back. I've missed you. Happy New Year. I want to hear all about your call at the Boxing Day Test. I was on the slopes in Tahoe. I've got my holiday beard on and you're right. I'm pulled up in a in a tiny little hotel bathroom while the girls are sleeping in the other room. But this is the thing, that, you know, the lengths we go to to make sure that this podcast hits the airwaves. I'm pumped. How is, you did speak about this, about obviously you sort of chased the sun as a professional cricketer for 20-something years. Um, first white Christmas, how did, how did it all go down? Was it, a, was it a hit with the family? Absolutely loved it. Anyone that's been following along at home on the, the social media would have seen Ginny, my wife, wear the full Mrs. Claus outfit. She was in the spirit on Christmas Day. Uh, it was a treat. I, I think I'm a mountain man at heart, so it was just it was wonderful. Absolutely loved it. That's, um, but I did miss the t- I did I did miss the Boxing Day yeah. test and the leftovers in the fridge and that whole vibe. But Willow TV got me through. I watched a little bit of cricket, which was which was lovely and a great service that that they provide. Uh, so it was it was good. I'm ready for this app. What do you got for me? A lot of the review- we got heaps. So should I give you the whole slate? Is that what we usually do? The big agenda items uh, off the top, or we just give me give through? me the big. Yeah. Uh, 15th, 15th, 15th annual pink test around the corner. Uh, we'll chat about mm-hmm. South Africa. Obviously, look ahead to the uh, the Sydney Test match. Uh, Meg Lanning's back, which is uh, which is good news. Bit of BBL action. I think we're going to disagree on what we thought of the uh, the start of the Big Bash and the TV deal is about to be signed. We talked about it a, a few weeks ago, so we'll get to uh, all that as as part of the Grandstand Cricket Podcast today. I want to start with the Boxing Day test, but we'll do it in rapid fashion. I know a lot of people have had their reviews so far, but there's three individuals in particular, Teddy, who I think their reputation was significantly enhanced in Melbourne. So Cam Green, who was the story of day one, picked up a Fifer, then came back with a shattered finger to make uh, an unbeaten half century. It's his longest stay ever at the crease in test cricket. Uh, Alex Carey became just the seventh Australian wicketkeeper bat to have scored a test hundred. And David Warner, who was really the, the big story of the test match and lit up day two with his, his double hundred, had to retire hurt and then was out the, the very first ball that he saw on, on day three. So rapid fire if you can. Have you got any observations on on those three and what happened to them in uh, in Melbourne? Yeah, sure. I'll start with my, my favourite of the three, and that was Cam Green's performance, particularly with the ball on that first day because it was intelligent bowling. One thing that I loved and probably haven't seen before, is how well he controlled the seam. A wicket that was providing a little bit and then it flattened out at times. He started bowling these cross seam uh, and wobble seam, and then he'd hold the seam up one ball, and a couple of times they were the, the actual the, the wicket ball. So he was bowling with a guile beyond his years, and to see that at high pace from someone you know, as inexperienced, whereas he's played 20 tests probably, hmm. uh, I loved what I saw. That made me think, and we've always kind of said this, that he could be the third fast bowler easily in that attack. Um, and, and so that was awesome to, to, to see a young man get five for it. 
at the Boxing Day test was, was phenomenal. Uh, and I'll go through them in order, I guess. That's probably easier. Alex Carey, everyone knows how much of a fan I am of not just his wicket-keeping, but him as a person. Uh, and to show what he has with the bat on a big occasion against an excellent attack, albeit an attack that was tired, mm. beyond belief it was hot by that stage. The wicket was, was lovely batting conditions, but you got to get them. And he's the... He's the type of person, and I've said this before, he's the soul. He's one of those quiet souls of the cricket team. He's a, he's a quiet leader. Uh, I think he's a future captain. Uh, just an excellent character in that team. He's the glue that holds it together. So to see him perform always makes me smile. And then the big story, probably for everyone else, was, was Dave Warner. Um, he batted well, uh, you know, under duress, under pressure. But that's that's the Warner that we expect, really. Twenty five Test hundreds now. It's, I guess, the the narrative is around. Um, you know, struggled for three years in Test cricket. Where's that been? Why has he struggled? Uh, but but when it counted, um, you know, emotionally for him, he rose to the occasion. But for me, they're the kind of innings that you expect from someone that wants to be known as great in the game. A hundred Tests. They're the they're the moments that that really they should be rising to the occasion. Uh, it's easy to recall David Warner's sort of memorable moments in his career, you know, where a lot of players you sort of think, oh, that's right, and you sort of need a little bit of prompting, whereas Warner, it's super easy. that The testing against New Zealand yeah. down in Hobart where he carried his bat on a really tough wicket, which felt like the moment that he'd really arrived as a as a test player, the big 100, the, the triple century in Adelaide. He had 100 in a session twice, once in the first session at the SCG, became the first player in that was a joke. 50 years to have done that. that. Absolutely. Okay. And, and the last session on a really hot day in, in Perth. So there's so many great innings that sort of stick in the memory. And I, I asked him at the completion of the test match where this one ranks. And I know we're always sort of a prisoner of the moment, the latest, the greatest, but he put it straight to the top. So um, that that was interesting to, to hear from uh, from David on, on that front. The, the other thing I just want to call out about Warner. So, and I know cricketers are always, more than other sports people, sort of hear a lot of the external noise. There's a lot of downtime in the game. The Australian mm-hmm. team talk all the time about, oh, we keep the receipts and they sort of catalogue what people say <laughs> about them. But it feels like David Warner a little bit is tilting at windmills, I think, at the moment about sort of the talk of him exiting the test arena. David Warner was the one that put this on the agenda. Remember <laughs> an interview that he gave with uh, with Triple M. I've got the the quote here uh, for you. He said, "Test cricket will be the first one to fall off because that's how it will pan out." The T Twenty World Cup is in twenty twenty four. The One Day World Cup's next year. So potentially, it could be my last twelve months in Test cricket. So we've had this conversation in the past. Did he get so prickly when people talk about his his exit from the Test arena? But I feel like that's a natural conversation to have if the guy says, hey, I'm, I'm planning on getting out in the in the next 12 months as to, to when that point will be. And he's 36, almost 37. So, uh, And his opening partner I, is 36 as well. well so, yeah. I, I was going to mention that actually, and, and maybe that's the, the subtext here. I mean, you're right. I think cricketers are by nature a sensitive bunch and, and can pretend to be otherwise. Uh, I, I think he'll now go to India. I think he'll play in the World Cup. Uh, sorry, the World Test Championship. Jeez, I keep calling it World Cup every single podcast. <laughs> I'm such a a dork. Uh, the the World Test Championship. That might be it. I think that might Ooh, be it before the Ashes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, potentially. Okay. I mean, just think, Stuart Broad around the wicket, sleepless nights. Yeah. We'll, we'll... Sleepless nights for old Davy. But I, I think the 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 story 
is the Warner Kawaja partnership here. And, you know, Kawaja has been short of runs in this series. And it doesn't matter how many credits you got in the bank, if you're 36 and you're not scoring runs, people are always going to talk. There's no doubt that he's had a phenomenal year. He's in the best four batsmen in the country. But at what point do you say we need some kind of transition uh, or do you just pick two new batsmen to, to start afresh? Mm. So that, that's going to be a, a storyline that continues to pop up over the next 12 months and, and one that we're going to have to monitor. It's it's only natural. Yeah. Where he's been a phenomenal player and he's uh, he's had a great run, but it, it's, a, it's a natural transition moment that, that we're approaching in the next 12 months for sure. Just to tie a bow on the, the Boxing Day test, uh, I thought that the Warren tribute was was excellent. It was so well done. And the, the, the nature of the fact that he passed in, in March, there's sort of the grieving process. There's lots of firsts that come around. The, the first birthday without him, the first Christmas holiday period, and obviously the first Boxing Day test. And there, there had to be some kind of memorial or, or tribute to him. And I thought they, they just absolutely nailed it to have the round of applause at 3.50 in the afternoon, obviously being his, his cap number as the 350th Australian Test player. They encouraged everybody to wear the floppy hats and the, the zinc cream. And it just had a really sort of um, fun vibe to remember one of the all-time greats. So it, it wasn't sort of a, a sad reflection. And as his son Jackson said in the, the TV interview that he gave, um, it's exactly as his dad would have wanted. And I thought they just absolutely hit the not right note in the way that they were able to um, to, to honour the, the best bowler that we've ever seen in the history of, of Australian Test cricket. Well said. Beautiful. Mm. Um, you mentioned Cam Green and the, the chance for him to be the third uh, quick, obviously, in the Australian lineup and what that would look like. I'm sure Australia would be hoping he'll be back pretty fast, given the fact that the first test in Nagpur is on February 9. He's returning from a broken finger, and, and that's where he's really going to be useful for Australia and give them the option to play two spinners. So we head to the Sydney test match uh, now. It's the 15th annual pink test, and we love talking about selection, Teddy. It's, uh, What's the forecast? What's the forecast? You, you won't well, be su- we talk about the Sydney rain first. You won't be surprised to know the first four days the showers forecast, which I think five of the last eight test matches in Sydney have ended in a draw, three of the last four. A lot of them rain affected, and there is a rain forecast again mm. in Sydney. So two guys drafted into the squad, Matt Renshaw and Ashton Agar. Obviously both own a baggy green, having played test cricket previously. The other two men to remember that are part of this squad is Marcus Harris, who's been the travelling reserve bat with the with the squad, and Lance Morris, of course, who's uh, the, the wild thing. Who uh, there's a lot of calls for him down here, Ed, for uh, for him to come in in Sydney. Uh, out goes Cam Green, and out goes Mitch Stark, who are both missing with uh, with finger problems. What do you think? The uh, first of all, what do you think of the two guys coming into the squad in, in Renshaw and Agar? Well, I've, I've always been a, a, a Matt Renshaw fan, and I think. On this podcast, I've said he, he's a hundred Test cricketer. Uh, that's probably a bit exuberant at the moment, uh, but he's still got time on his side. I, I think he's learnt a huge amount with his time out of the side. He can't be a Test century in nineteen and and not be a phenomenal player. Uh, whether his future in the Test team is as an opener or as a number four, as he's he's played a little bit for Queensland the last couple of years, and Queensland have looked after him. They've moved him down to the middle order now back up mm. to the, the top of the order, having found a little bit more confidence and rhythm in his own game and technique. So he's got the mental side of the game covered. 
it's a good inclusion. He's an excellent player of spin. He sweeps well. I think it's an inclusion. Like every time the Sydney test rolls around and there's an Indian tour off the back where we start talking about, you know, squad inclusions for India and just to get them around the boys. But this might yeah. be one of them because I, I can't really see him playing at the SCG, but I could. I can see him playing in the subcontinent. Agar's an interesting selection because essentially it's a leapfrogging of, of Mitchell Swepson and you can read into that what you will. I think where they're getting at, and you might have a different view here, is they've seen Axar Patel's success in the subcontinent, someone who consistently bowls 95 Ks an hour plus into the wicket, left arm spin. you got to bowl fast finger spin in the subcontinent, I've thought. Agar could be the one to unlock that as a left arm spinner um, in India. And if they get a spinning wicket in, in Sydney, well, then we might as well give him a test like we gave Swepson a test before he went to the UAE. And so that's where my mind has gone um, with this selection because I don't think naturally you think Ashton Agar second best spinner in the country. I don't think he is. But horses for courses, bats, bowls, fields, you know, triple threat and the type of bowling that he provides uh, really could suit a, a dusty SCG wicket, but more importantly in India. Yeah, I, I just worry that we fall into this trap a lot where when the all-rounder gets hurt, trying to replace them. And so you've got Agar, who's he's the not, he's not the next best bat, he's not the next best spinner, and yet he's sort of seen as the, the guy there. I, I, I feel... Yeah, I don't, is he though? Are, is he, are they replacing an all-rounder with an all-rounder? I think they're, they're saying in Sydney we need spin coverage. Yeah. And so he's he's the next best spinner potentially either for this wicket or moving forward for where we're going. Mm. We're not necessarily playing him as the all-rounder, yeah. well, but it, it means that Kerry moves up and he bats at seven or eight and so, you, you kind of get the gist, but I, I don't think it's like-to-like. Yeah, I feel desperately unlucky for um, for Mitch Swepson. I mean, he took eight wickets at 24 in Sri Lanka, so he had the, the two tests in Pakistan before that, which were on flat decks, and then he went away and, and did the job. So if you're looking for a guy that takes the ball against the uh, away from the right-hander, then I would have thought they'd start there. Um, the, the other thing is, what, what form are you picking Agar on? Uh, I mean, I, by, by the way, I'm a, I'm a massive um, Ashton Agar fan. I thought he was super unlucky to be out of our T20 team. I feel like here, though, he's he's got a bit of a push where... He's played two. It's an odd selection. He's played two Red Bull games since April 2021. Yeah, great call out. I mean, I it took me. It caught. I guess where my mind went was I was trying to think if I was in the selection room, what's the justification? Because as a casual observer, uh, you're right. I would have thought, what is Ashton Agar doing in the Test squad? He hasn't played a lot of Red Bull cricket, and when he has played, he hasn't done that well he hasn't blown us away and so i was trying to join the dots as to how the selectors would actually get to where they got to because mm. i struggled to when i saw the name pop up you talk all the time about you know test cricket's not a development zone and when i look at this last test match against south africa so the series is already won sure australia are still trying to get as many points as they can for the world test championship they've got a tour of india coming up where it's going to be hard to win games um, the the only way Australia can lose the test in Sydney is by not getting enough runs. 
it's it's not both teams are going to be able to take 20 wickets you look at um i've done the exercise here red where you go through and look at uh how much south africa have batted in their last nine innings and on average they bat 60 overs so you you don't really need the extra bowler here and and if they only bat 60 overs where's agar going to get a roll anyway it's not as if there's going Mm. to be an obvious scenario for him to to come on and bowl it's not like they're going to get deep into the innings but I can absolutely foresee a scenario that if they only play six batters and Rabada and Nokia and Ngidi get on a bit of a roll that Australia could get rock and rolled for 180 and all of a sudden you're in a low-scoring affair and if you're a batter light, um, gee, that's that's risky business, isn't it? Thinking, hey, we're going to use this as a, as a test to prepare for uh, for what's coming up in, in the subcontinent. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting point of view. The only reputation I'd give is every time you see a flat wicket, people think extra bowler just naturally you think this is the chance for the batsman to do their job warner kawaja smith labashane head mm. five players that all have big hundreds in them if they're getting bowled out for 180 they're not doing their job and so you know i think irrespective of opposition you say flat wicket need an extra bowler take 20 wickets Give me, give me your team then for Sydney. Who's your eleven? Oh, I haven't. Uh, I'll say the same <laughs> thing I say the whole time. I haven't seen the wicket. One thing I did see, I saw a photo of the wicket. Yep. From the last T20 game in SCG, and it was diabolical. It was like they hadn't they brought up a wicket from the World T20 that was all crusty, and then rolled some clippings into, it, and then I saw the first ball, and it bounced twice before the keeper. Mm. So. It's a bit of a lottery at the SCG at the moment. I'm not so sure they're at the top of their game. Meanwhile, for those, again, on the social media, Matt Page has turned around the MCG test. That was an absolute dog tip. Mm. And I personally now think it's the best cricket wicket in the country. That That's a, wow. a huge turnaround. So from lo- from, from fifth to first, basically, if we look at the five major venues, uh, unfortunately, I think so. the SCG is looking like uh, number five at the moment. It's the worst. Um, for, for it what- is. For whatever it's worth, and this is going to surprise no one if you've listened to our podcast for a long period of time, I think they should play any combination of Morris, uh, Hazelwood, Boland, whatever, to, to partner Cummins. Play the three quicks, play Nathan Lyon, Kawaja into the middle order, and Marcus Harris, who's the reverse bat, should should come in and open. I mean, I mean, we're going to have an issue going forward about they, they need more openers. We don't know when that's going to be. It's really in the hands of David Warner to decide. Um, he's the rever- he's the reserve bat. He's been there. Uh, I think it's a, it's a good opportunity to play him and win the test match and worry about India when when India rolls around. I don't uh, mind that team. It's the fifteenth it's the fifteenth annual pink test, which is amazing to think that this just continues to renew as a tradition year on year. And I was I was lucky enough to work with Glenn McGrath uh in Melbourne and what an amazing second act in public life for Glenn McGrath to think that he started out mm. as you know Australia's greatest ever fast bowler. And now he talks about the fact that, you know, he retired in 2007. So there's lots of people that, uh, sort of younger people that don't remember him playing. But he said he gets stopped, he thinks, on average once a day from people that would come up to him and say, hey, it's amazing what you're doing with the McGrath Foundation. It's helped our lives considerably by being able to have a a breast care nurse available to us. And I was lucky enough to have a conversation with him about it uh, on air during, during the MCG test match. And, gee, they do such such amazing work and the fact that to have the same theme every year everyone wears pink day three of the test and everyone still gets a bit around it in the same way i think indicates as much as anything how many people's lives are are touched by this um this horrendous disease yeah i think that's well said i actually think the event's getting bigger it's not holding 
holding its shape, it's expanding. And I think the thing to note is that uh, Glenn, who's one of the, the best people you'll ever meet, and I was lucky enough to play cricket with him, he's now given his life to this. This is not a part-time gig or a foundation that you know some sports people do just to, after they retire, to give them something to do. This is something that is obviously deeply personal to him and he has given an incredible amount of time and energy to make this the success it is uh, and those around him. So it, it deserves the attention. It's a wonderful um, test match and it's a befitting charity for, for, for someone that gave their life to the game and, and is now uh, giving back, having tragically lost his wife, which was just the saddest, oh. saddest story for, for so long. Yeah, and to deal with that grief in such a public way, and now turn it into such a, a positive thing that that helps so many people. Um, what was it like to play in? Was it was it something that, as an Australian group, that you you did much on, obviously in and around the event that was happening outside of the game? Yeah, oh, it's a it's a big test match, and, and this was a test match. You got to remember that was two days prior, so you'd finish the Boxing Day test. Yeah, usually, you know, back in the day when there's a bit more uh, competition in, in test match cricket, that that would go four or five days you'd then have uh new year's you know travel new year's eve prime ministers and then the test match mm-hmm. would essentially start on the second or the third uh and so it was always a bit of a moving feast those two weeks but the sydney test it, it was special and particularly with with pitch uh, being a, a new south welshman and often a lot of people that had played in the room with him it was it was very emotional to look him just to give you some insight, to go and shake his hand, give him your pink cap, um, was as emotional as I've probably ever been playing cricket for Australia. It was it was deeply personal. Uh, it's a tough segue, but uh, we are a cricket podcast. Oh, I can't wait for uh, for the, the pink test, obviously, starting on uh, on January 4. You can hear it all on ABC Radio. Uh, South Africa, Ed, so... There was sort of high hopes coming out here that we're going to get a really competitive series after what happened with the West Indies and how lopsided that was. And unfortunately, South Africa's batting, it was sort of well forecast that it was a little brittle. And boy, as it played out that way, they went seven innings in a row without scoring over 200 and then fell over the line in the the second dig in Melbourne. But I was interested in the criticism that's come Dean Elgar's way. So he, he talked a big game as the, the captain of South Africa before the series. He hasn't delivered with the bat, nor has his teammates. And there were a lot of comparisons made in and around the MCG test to Craig Brathwaite and what he was able to do with the West Indies and the plucky innings that he was able to play on you know, multiple occasions throughout the series. And the fact that he wasn't leading a particularly strong side, but still found a way to, to show significant fight and, and sort of lead in a, in a very different way. Do you, do you have a, a view on, on any or all of that? Yeah, can I just zoom out for a second? And and one observation, you know, having watched a, a little bit of their their work, is how how big the holes in their techniques are. I, I don't know what the batting coaches in South Africa are doing, but there's no movement to the ball. Uh, they a lot of them play the ball very early. They're they're not staying side. Like there's not much to like about the way they bat technically. And you can take the, the other side of that argument and say, well, often, you know, the, the best batsmen are home spun, and, but they still stick to some basic fundamentals of the game. That is, they tend to move to the ball, they tend to play the ball very late, yep. and they tend to be very still. And the rest, where your bat comes from, you know, I've seen that, um, you know, to, to use South Africa 
examples. Graham Smith, very unorthodox technique, but very effective. Played the ball late, knew his game. Hashim Amlar, the same. There were some key fundamentals that you could build a game around. I haven't seen anything like that. And and to then zoom back in on Elgar, I think some some batsmen just don't line up well to some bowlers. And I think he doesn't line up particularly well to two, maybe all of the Australian quicks, actually. I mean, Cummins troubles him. The angles Cummins creates troubles him. He doesn't like the ball swinging away from him, so Stark can trouble him. And Boland, who's, who's nibbling around that length, also is troubling him. So I think he's a little bit out of, out of form. And so it's hard to compare apples with oranges, I think, and say he's not plucky enough. I just don't think his game is is suiting the angles and, and the attack that the Australians are coming at him with. So it's easy to kind of trying to shoot him down for, for a lack of mental fortitude. I just think there are some holes in his game that are being exposed. It's it's not the mind because he's a he's a strong character. Yeah, it's. I mean, they're, they're a fascinating watch. I mean, I know Keegan Peterson's hurt, so he would probably be in their best team. Yeah, not that he's going to. Sure. He's not going to change the series. There's a guy named Ryan. Where's Rick- Adam Markram? So he's an interesting one. They haven't picked Markram. He is available, world class batter. He's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's their best player. Yeah, yeah. When, and it comes down to there's obviously selection issues around South African cricket, not just in the in the, the test team, but also in the first class level as well, and, and then junior cricket, um, which is totally understandable given the, the history. But they're they're struggling to to really find some some batsmen and it's it's that's hurting their test cricket. I mean there a few things to call out here while we're on South Africa. If anyone that you know, has poured over the Future Tours program 23 to 27. They don't come back here at all in the, in that period. Mm. And so you could make an argument, and I think Adam Collins has done so on Twitter, that this could be the last test match we see. It's kind of doomsday-ish. could be the last test match we see, you know, South Africa in Australia. If if the world keeps moving at a, at a clip, if, if South African cricket, continues to demonstrate the administrative inadequacies that it has in the last couple of years, if if their T20 competition as sponsored by the IPL really takes off, maybe they'll never play in Australia again, given the, the summer crossover. Wow. Ever. I'm not saying that's true. I'm just mm. saying it's a possibility. Gee, that's, it is a long way away. And to think about how much cricket's training, changing on the global front, there's a good segue here. But just on the, what you were saying about the South Africans, it's amazing. And it happened here too when Shane Warne retired. And we all thought, oh, there's going to be this influx of wrist spinners in, um, in Australian cricket. And we'll see them all come through for the next generation. And we had to wait a long time before I think Mitch Swepson was just about the, the next sort of true wrist spinner that, that earned his selection through a, you know, a storied period in domestic cricket he wasn't kind of like a bolter selection or anything like that um but to think you've just come out of a generation with guys like smith callus de villiers amla and then the next wave is gee this is as bad as it's been for south africa putting up sort of historically bad numbers um with the bat that the segue for south african cricket they're all going home now to play in a thing called the sa20 which is their new big bash Mm -hmm. competition and all six teams have been purchased by IPL franchises. So what we have this year is basically all the teams are named after the same teams that you see in the IPL. It means the Durban team are the Super Giants named after the Lucknow franchise, the Joburg team named after the Super Kings, the Mumbai Indians have a side, as do Rajasthan, the Delhi uh, team, and the Sunrisers. So a bit of a, 
and a, a strong interest, I'm sure, in world cricket to see how how this goes. But some of the trade-offs here that, that come with it. So South Africa own the competition, South African cricket, but they don't have any say over the franchises. The Indian uh, Premier League teams own those. So when the draft came and the South African T20 captain Temba Bavuma didn't get a team, all of a sudden Cricket South Africa said, oh, hang on, we, we want him playing. And the response from the IPL franchises were, hang on, we've put up the money. These are our teams and we'll decide who's going to play for them. So you've got two guys both playing international cricket in him and also Zondo that um, didn't get picked up. So they're going home to effectively play you know, local club cricket because they didn't get picked up in their, their national T20 league. There's an old saying, he who pays plays. And it applies here, no doubt. It's it's a good call out because it's a, a bit of a moving feast here. We need to, to watch this space carefully for a variety of reasons. One of which is the expansion of the IPL. You know, if they're not going to expand the IPL window, but hey, we can just ship players around the world in, in, in franchises all of a sudden. Let's see where this ends up. It, you know, the, the, the doomsday can kind of say this is the beginning of the end of the big bash really i don't believe that you know the, the south african cricket landscapes had a few false starts around t20 franchise will be interesting to see with more money and support how successful this can possibly be and the biggest names in it are the, the top line english players so you know joss butler and harry brooks going jason yeah. roy so it's it it doesn't have the strong indian talent so it's not as if they've got you know some of the, the same names that we're, we're used to but seeing those, na- those names aren't coming to the big bash no, they're not. So they're sort of splintering off, aren't they, where some come here and some go there? Yeah, or, or a little bit of A and a little bit of B. T20 cricket in focus as well for our Aussie women. Uh, Ed, of course, the World Cup just around the corner, and so everything is viewed through that prism at the moment. Starts on February 11. The Aussies' first game is on February 12 against New Zealand, and that tournament is played in South Africa. Before then, though... We have a six-game white ball series against Pakistan, which is cool to see Pakistan touring in, in women's cricket in this part of the world. And to think about what's happening you know, politically with their neighbours in Afghanistan and the knock-on effect of what that means for cricket at the moment, Rami's Raja, I, I know he's worked for us and I'm a, a huge push for him, but he has been brilliant for, for Pakistan cricket and particularly for women's cricket. He was yeah, adamant last time he was down here. He wanted to make a bilateral series like this happen. And here it is. So January 16th, 18 and 21, there's three ODIs and then three T20s on the back end. And the big news from a selection front is that Meg Lanning has elected to play. So she makes her return after personal leave uh, just in time for uh, for the World Cup prep. And of course, uh, a big year for the Aussie women as well with uh, women's ashes to follow. Yeah, I don't know what I can add to that. Uh, it's a big news story. Meg Lanning coming back, the, the world's best player. Uh, great that. She was given the space that um, that was requested, uh, and how supportive cricket was of her. And let's just hope that it that it works in in her favour, um, both personally and professionally. It is great to see the Pakistani team down here. They're going to get absolutely thumped. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they, uh, you know, the golf between the two best teams, uh, that being Australia and England. Uh, and Australia and India is is massive in Australia, and so you know the. the let, I let think me pa- Pakistan uh, almost lost to Thailand. You got to remember in, in in the last Women's World Cup. So we're, let's not expect too much here, Corb. Oh, I love that 
it's a priority though, which um, you know, for different parts of the world, and there's obviously um, yeah, a whole lot of cultural barriers to try no, and overcome. Of course, that, no, good um, call. Yeah, no, that, I'm that being it, facetious. It you're right. Oh, absolutely, you're right. The, just the, the interest though is around the the Aussie selection. So it's interesting here that uh, Alyssa Healy is obviously hurt, so she's got a calf complaint she picked up in India, so she won't play. Which means Meg Lanning comes in in that spot, and Mooney keeps. Which means that the question around sort of the makeup of the Aussie team headed towards uh, the World Cup isn't really settled. Where yeah, in the past Perry was omitted, she's turned her own personal game around. So you look Big at time. that yeah. that top order, and you've got sort of Mooney and Healy are, are going to open in our strongest team. You think Tali McGrath's been holding it down at number three? She's the best player in the world. Yeah, Meg, she is. Meg Lanning's got to come back in. You've got Ash Gardner. You've got. Uh, Elise Perry to try and fit in and Grace Harris, which sort of feels like there's sort of one of that group that's probably going to, to drop out in the top six. Yeah. Well, I think Harris is the one to drop. She's the, the fringe player there. I mean, had a phenomenal uh, big bash season, has done well, but you know, McGrath, Perry, Gardner, kind of, I think it picks itself, doesn't it? Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's stiff, though, isn't it? For for Grace Harris, she's been playing some some good cricket. No, she she has just just to to take a step back. I was probably I, I, I was being a bit facetious. I didn't re- read through the, <laughs> the political implications of the Pakistani <laughs> female team. We've, we've got that. Uh, Travelling to Australia, but. Uh... Apologies. <laughs> Speaking of the Big Bash, you mentioned the, the WBBL, the men's competition. I think it's been an excellent start to the tournament. There's been big crowds in uh, some cities, not so much in uh, in Melbourne and Sydney, but television audiences have been strong. And I think the cricket's been close, which is, is sort of, I, I, for me, it's been sort of easy viewing sort of most nights to be able to um, to, to watch the games and, and see what's happening. There's been a, enough sort of talking points the whole way through. The Sixers and Thunder both started slow. They're both coming good now. So um, as we record this, Perth on top of the table, the Thunder second. The Sixers are up to third despite uh, a little stumble against uh, the Brisbane Heat. Oh, my goodness. We've got, how long have we got here? Uh, a couple of things. Can you give me some context on the TV numbers? I'm, I'm a little bit out of the loop. Um, because I've got a, a bit of a, I'm, I'm, it's on, great to hear that the numbers yep. up on are, last are year. up. Yep, up on last okay. year. Yep. Uh, by much? Uh, I, I don't have the actual numbers in front of me, but um, okay, healthy. We'll keep moving then. So my, my view is it's a more competitive Big Bash. I don't think it's of any better quality. The cricket I've seen is not of any better quality than we saw last year. Just the, the, the low tide has been lifted, and that is basically the Melbourne Renegades are, are now a team that aren't easy beats. And so they're, they're essentially at the moment... Um, you know, six, seven teams that can win on any given night. The Heat have been struggling. The Stars are still the story that keep on giving, um, you know, whether it's resting Coulton Isle and Stoinis around Christmas so they can go home under the guise of resting kind of makes it seem like they don't take the competition all that seriously. Uh, but the Big Bash needs the Stars to to be firing, to, yeah. to be a, a, a glitzy competition, and, and they haven't for some time. But the... So it's a more even competition, which I think makes it more watchable. But I don't think the, yeah. the quality of the internationals is any better. I don't think the quality yeah. of the domestic players is any better. Uh, I love the TV audience being up. I love the, the regional grounds turning up and and really being a heartbeat for the tournament. But we need the big city centre. If this is going to be the tournament that we all wish it is and, and, and hope it becomes, you need the big cities to really get behind this. Yeah. Uh- I think now because the Big Bash has been going 12 years, there's all of a sudden a bit of nostalgia with it. So people sort of think back 
and probably look back with rose-colored glasses and think, oh, it was amazing back then. We used to get the absolute best players in the world, which I'm not so sure that was the case either, even at the very start of the competition. But we were coming out of a great successful era. So you had guys like Mark, Mike Hussey rolling around, for example, at the uh, yeah. back end of his Matthew career. Hayden. Matthew yeah. Hayden. So you had sort of yeah. your... And then we had sort of faded stars from, from elsewhere. So Kevin Peterson, the back end of his career, Brandon McCullum, Freddie Flintoff. But it wasn't as if we were getting the best T20 players in their prime coming down here to play in the competition. And I feel like it's become popular a little bit to sort of rag on the Big Bash and, oh, it's not as good as what it once was. But still over three quarters of a million people watch sort of every night. It still dwarfs yeah. every other sort of domestic sport that's on in its space, whether that's the A-League or the NBL or, or whatever it may be. And um, yeah, I, I feel like the, the competition that the start to it at least this year has um, has been eye catching with uh, the cricket that's um, that's been played, and it's it's been pretty easy viewing. No, I, agree. I don't disagree with that. I was just trying to mm. give some color and context. Um, uh, you know, I, I love the Big Bash, and I just have such great hopes for it to be a world class competition. I think it it still needs to step up into into that uh, genre because. And- um, it's, nope. it's not there yet, and, yeah. and even if we enjoy watching it, uh, and, and that also plays into where Australia performs at, at World T Twenty tournaments because we're so there is that byproduct of uh, as well of having a mediocre competition, but that doesn't take away from the fact that it is great entertainment, and and we can see a, a, a club cricketer like last night hit, <laughs> you know, the first fifteen balls he faces out of the ground, and, and we're all talking about it, so it's. There's pros and cons for sure. I did laugh at some of the reaction to that. Basically, people saying, "Who needs all these big international stars? We just get club cricketers out there to to fire like they did last night—a 19 ball, a 50 for uh, for Josh Brown." But I, I would have argued that that's what we've been doing. It's been club cricketers playing in the competition, exactly right. and the yeah. criticism has been we don't have enough big stars. But um, yeah, it's. It, it, I think the, the evenness is an interesting point, though. With it. That's what every competition craves, whether it's the AFL or the NRL. I mean, you, you want that sort of any given Sunday theory that uh, that any team can roll up and win. One last one on the Big Bash. Michael Neesis catch last night. Uh, Marcus North tweeted about this. He said, if this is within the rules of cricket, then they need to change it. No way that should be out. What's the point of the boundary? And I'm sure if you're listening this deep into our cricket podcast, you would have seen it by now. Michael Neesis takes the catch. He's headed out of play, throws it up in the air. The ball is over the boundary line, so Nisa gets a second play on it, jumps in the air, feet off the ground, flicks the ball back into the field of play, runs back over the boundary line, and his third touch of the ball completes the catch, of which Jordan Silk thought it was six. It was a huge stage in the game. The Sixers needed 26 off 11. They were coming with a wet sail. It went to the video, and the rules of cricket say that is out. What did you think of it? The laws of cricket do say that's out. Corbin, mm. the rules of cricket. I'm not, I'm Correct, not so the, sure. The laws of cricket. I get, uh, <laughs> I get picked up on this all the time. The laws of cricket. Uh, well, it, the law sucks, basically. I mean, I, I like the the juggling element to the catch, but I, I think you could word it in a sense that you can still step over the boundary line. Maybe that you can't touch the ball over the boundary line. Or there, there's some, you know, when when the the laws of cricket committee meet at Lords, they sit down, have that nice cup of tea, have a nice china. What do they talk about? Because this just doesn't make sense to me. Um, the, there was a, a hugely acrobatic effort to get the ball up, but at no stage does he really have control of the ball uh, in the field of play until he catches it. So. Um, 
I can be convinced otherwise. Yeah, I was I'm, not gonna, okay, lose, oh, I'm not going to lose sleep tonight yeah. over this. So we, but, uh, just as a, as a cricketer, it just doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense. Yeah, I've gone full circle. First time I saw it, had the exact same response you did. Doesn't look out, not sure about it. The more I think about it, the more I watch it. I think, how often is this likely to happen? And for the sake that... If he happens gets, once a season. If he happens gets, once a season. But if he gets three plays on it and can pull that off athletically, I think I'm happy enough with that being out. It, it's a competition that has, you know, the bales light up, for example, and like there's no, okay. all sorts of gimmicky yeah. stuff that happens in T20 cricket. It does not. If you if you can pull that off and, and get three different plays out, I think I'm I think I'm happy enough for it to be out. As no. I said, I'm I'm happy to be convinced. I think we can go a bit deeper on the Big Bash here. I think there's been some good storylines emerge already, and maybe maybe we can we can save it for the podcast. Yeah. After the wanna, Sydney Test wrap, do you want to flag? Uh, and we can. Do you want to flag a few? Yeah, what, what, are, what are some storylines that have caught your um, where, caught your attention? Where are the Hobart Hurricanes? Oh man, they they they're a bit smelly to start, aren't they? Um, so the Hurricanes and Stars, I want to dive into where their season's heading. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I quite like re resetting uh, Rising Star Award. I did note Ollie Davies sixty off thirty balls <laughs> yeah. the other night. I thought it was. Uh, some nice other little stories lines like Paddy Dooley, who you know, even Crick Info don't know if he's bowling left arm orthodox or the spin. <laughs> they keep changing his profile. So the emergence of these players, even last night, that we don't really know much about, and then um, you know the resurgence of Aaron Finch counter as a as a counterpoint. So maybe yeah, post test series, let, let's make sure that we go long on the Big Bash. As the pointy end comes to the season, I don't want to go through the Big Bash season and not give it the attention it deserves. Mm. Perhaps Aaron Finch will stay on. Teddy is the T20 international captain. As a middle-order bat, he can hold it down at uh, number four and lead the team going forward. We can uh, have that chat another time, I'm sure. Um, the, the, the TV rights, uh, Ed, we spoke about this a, a couple of weeks ago. Ben Horn's article on the News Limited platforms today is that uh, Fox and Seven are poised to pick up the new TV deal, which will be announced on Tuesday. So that's tomorrow as we record this, uh, the day before the test match. There was one part of the article, though, which really caught my attention. The Big Bash League, which is currently humming this season, will be reduced in length under the new deal to sharpen up a product which has been revitalized. It's understood Channel 7 and Fox Sports arrangement will remain largely the same from the current deal, with Fox to broadcast White Ball Internationals exclusively and BBL and Test Cricket to be shared it's understood that Channel 7's digital channel, 7 Plus, of course, their streaming service will gain some streaming rights in conjunction with Fox and KO to bring it into, obviously, the uh, the modern landscape. But now that's a little interesting nugget, which I'm sure we'll learn a bit more about tomorrow. Yeah, let's, let's dive into this next week because I think this, without the full details, is, is hard to really discuss. I think if the headline figure, just to... to, to stick with the headlines the headline figure is the same as what the last rights deal is that's actually inflation adjusted a worse deal for cricket australia so my understanding was it's going to be a little bit more so it'll but less than what paramount were offering so i think it's about 1.4 whereas the paramount deal was 1.5 which is also not to be sneezed at. Cricket Australia essentially leaving $100 million on the table here. When you think about sort of your local cricket club and how much, you know, $5,000 worth of equipment could get you or what that may be, that the yeah. game's essentially saying, look, we're happy not to take the extra $100 million or whatever it may be to um, to stay with the partners that we currently have. 
And this is why the devil's in the detail. I'm interested to understand the Paramount deal as it was put forward because I would always take what is best for the game, not necessarily the highest number, but I don't believe that exclusive white ball cricket behind a paywall is necessarily best for the game. I know that you do some work for Fox, so I can't comment on that, but that's probably my biggest bugbear. So I need to be able to unpick this to really Mm. provide comment. I'm glad that the deal's been done. I find it kind of amusing that the TV broadcasters were the ones that were calling for the extended Big Bash and they're now calling for a a protracted one. But but, uh, let's wait and see. But let's spend some time here next week for sure because, uh, as I said, the the devil's in the detail and and let's unpick this properly. But fascinating that it's, it's been done over the new year period. Yeah, well, there's a, a lot to work through. I mean, it's even the fact that they didn't take the biggest offer on the table. When was the last time you saw a sports yeah. deal sort of go with the, the lower number offer? And as you said, there's um, obviously a lot more to that than uh, than just necessarily the money that's coming in. So it'll be interested to uh, hear what you have to say next week. Uh, that just about does us. Teddy, you'll be back in the country next week. Are you going to the Sydney Test? Obviously, you're a I will be, board, yeah. board member with New South yeah, Wales Cricket. Do you have sort of blazer on and obligations there? Absolutely. Brand new linen jacket is <laughs> pressed and ready for the for the uh, formalities, Corbettson. I don't think it actually beats the, the sitting in the sun having 25 light beers with your mates, but it's it's nice to be able to take a few guests that are you know, important to the game and, and sit and talk some cricket for sure. Safe travels home. Uh, Teddy, can I just give you one without notice before we leave. It is the new year, two days into 2023. Give me a bold prediction for oh. 2023. How bold do you want? As bold as you want to be. It can be oh. anything. A cricketing oh. landscape, if I, sort of overall. It, I mean, you, you could, uh, this isn't the prediction, but you, you could make a prediction with the ashes around the corner and the baseball phenomenon that you know England are going to reclaim the Ashes, which is absolutely unthinkable. Pre, you know, six months ago. So I don't know. I don't actually believe that. Um, mm. But uh, you know, that could be one. Maybe, uh, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> fumbling. I'm fumbling badly. Maybe. Can maybe, you, can you help maybe, me out? Help maybe me people out. that listen to this uh, pod can can send us their predictions during the week, and we'll uh, we'll, yours, we'll discuss a few yours. of them. You can't, you, can't, you can't put me on notice. <laughs> <laughs> I think Australia will win what? the Ashes. Still, that's not a bold prediction, yeah. though, is it? No, it's it's, it's looking more like an even series than perhaps what it was was when uh, England left here uh, twelve months ago. Mm. But I mean, that's, I that's don't know. yeah. So you don't have you don't have a bold prediction. You probably you just asked me. You're yeah, being a broadcaster, pretty, not pretty a commentator. <laughs> okay, no yeah, worries. No, we'll, we'll we'll take that one on notice too. I'm a, there'll be people out there that'll have their bold predictions. I'm sure, and we'll uh, we'll throw a few together and see what we can come up with. Um, safe travels home, uh, Teddy. Chat to you uh, following the Sydney Test match uh, next Monday. Thanks, Corb. Thanks for for hosting at at an odd hour. <laughs>